Promoting food and farming to the wider world is one thing that my next guest and I have in common. Abby Reader, MBE, is a proactive dairy farmer from Cardiff. He founded the initiative Cows on Tour, taking the farm into the playground, quite literally. Stay tuned if you want to find out more. Hello, welcome to the Countryside Kitchen Meats, a food and farming podcast. I'm Millie Fife, your host. I'm a mum of two, farmer's wife, food producer and passionate about flying the flag for British food and farming. Today we'll be chatting to dairy farmer and NFU Wales Deputy President, Abby Reader, MBE. Then I'll give you some inspiration when it comes to mealtime preparation and some recipes to share, meaning you can juggle family life with the children and cook a tasty, nutritious meal too. Okay, let me introduce you to my guest. Abby Reader is a third generation mixed farmer farming in partnership with her parents and uncle in Wenvo, just outside Cardiff. Goldsland Farm is home to 200 milking cows, 150 sheep, 90 beef cattle and 120 acres of arable. Abby is co-founder of Cows on Tour, an open farm Sunday host and a former NFU Cymru Wales Farmer of the Year and the current NFU Cymru Deputy President. Abby received an MBE in the Queen's Birthday Honours list in 2019 for services to farming at just 37 years of age. Just like me, this lady never stops and works tirelessly for our farming industry. Abby and I first met many moons ago. I can't work out if it was through the Shorthorn Society or through the Tesco Future Farmers Foundation. And we got to know one another and recently attended a brilliant event at the Farm Ed Centre organised by Innovation for Agriculture. So let's bring Abby on and find out more about her passion for all things cows. Hello, Abby. Hi, Millie. How are you doing? I'm all right. Are you? Yeah, all good. Thanks. Excellent. So can you remember when we first met? Was it the Tesco Future Farmers or was it through the Shorton Society? Because I can't remember. Well, I thought it was Tesco Future Farmers, but now you mentioned the Shorthorn Society, I'm uh, I'm not. I, I think it might have been that actually. Yeah, I I I honestly can't remember. But anyway, I suppose in the grand scheme of things, it it, it doesn't really matter because we've probably kept in touch for the last probably ten years. And uh, well, I've always been a, a a huge advocate or fan of yours in terms of all of the different things that you've been involved with. Um, I don't know how you fit it all in. <laughs> well it's, it's uh, an interesting juggling act but we love a challenge yeah no absolutely so tell me about cows on tour how did it come about oh cows on tour goes back gosh five or six years now and it is a voluntary initiative by farmers started in my area in Glamorgan but it's probably Pam Wales and we go into schools largely take up the whole school for the whole day and talk about food and farming and we will take in animals machinery food we try and make it as exciting as an energetic as we can. And really, it's just to try and help youngsters reconnect. And we started, our very first event was a school in London. And I can remember why on earth we did it. I have no idea, but it's these crazy ideas that farmers have when they're talking in a pub. We left homes, left our homes at 3 a.m. to get up to London, to get to the school in London. When we arrived there we sort of pulled into the playground and then the, the school opened their doors and all of the school children came, came running out to see us. I mean, literally they swamped us because we were like some mythical creatures, I think. <laughs> and there were children from so many ethnic backgrounds as well. It was incredible because obviously mm. we were right in the heart of London 
And I spoke to the head teacher who herself was from France, I think. Mm. And she said to me, you know, you are right by um, the Emirates football stadium. Mm. And she said, just on the road is Holloway prison to Mm. your right. And to your left is another prison. And for a lot of these children, if they haven't got family in one prison, they're in another. Mm. And we spent the whole day there just talking to these youngsters and the buzz they got and the buzz we got was so infectious. Mm. It was it was a very exciting, humbling and amazing occasion. And we've just continued from there. Yeah. Amazing. And so are you all volunteers how, how how does that work? Because obviously, if you're busy farming, you've got lots of other different um, projects and, and roles and what have you. Do you just get in contact with a school and say, can I come and talk to you? How does it kind of work? Yeah, pretty much. It all happens on a wing and a prayer. I mean, when, when we went to the first school in London, we dubbed ourselves Cows on Tour. Yeah. And and that's what it was. And, and we just assumed this was a one-off event and it would never happen again. As it happens, it had so much success. Um, we had um, one farmer, they took on more people on their milk round. We had mentions on Radio 1, Radio 4, and Radio 2, mm. um, talking about what we were doing on the day because we let them know. We yeah. were covered by ITV News Wales and ITV News London. We were covered by local papers. And we had mentioned in the Senate, so a Welsh Assembly as it was yes. then, for what a fantastic initiative it is. And we realised we would have to continue. And as I was looking at how we were going to be able to cope with this, I decided that we would have to base it on three main rules. Mm. And they were, we have no money, we have no time, and we have no idea what we're doing. (laughs) As long as we could accept those three things and still get on with it, because that's what farmers do so well, Mm. then I decided it would work. And, And we've kept with that ethos all the way through, because you don't need any money. You don't need to know what you're doing because you already do. You're talking about everything. And the time thing, well, you know, honestly, if we don't make the time now to Mm. invest in the future for our making sure that we reassure our customers of the future, then why are we in this job? So, you know, I guess we we just sort of built off that really. And it does happen on a wing and a prayer and it can happen. You will beg, borrow and steal. I always over-cater for volunteers because you have to allow for the the normal dropouts that will happen if the sun's shining or someone's got a bad carving or whatever it may be and you just go with it yeah 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 i mean it's it is very inspiring and i hope people listening will just feel like they kind of want to take a piece of this and and and, and run it in their area because presume when you say cows on tour did you take cows on tour or was it a real cow or a pretend cow no it wasn't well it was a pretend cow so i had just done open farm sunday in this year when, when we were we were approached to go to London and it was the son of a, a neighbouring farmer who got in touch with me to say look I'm working in London I'm not in farming at all but um, I have run into a head teacher in a school by me and she would like me to go in and talk to her class about farming and can I borrow some of your Open Farm Sunday resources now I happen to have a wooden milking cow that I built especially for the day so I said well you could borrow the cow if you like and then as farmers get talking I said, well, can I come and help you? Perhaps we can do something. And then a few other farmers like, yeah, we'll come and help you. So, yeah, the only live animal we actually took on our first event was two chickens. Mm-hmm. I think it was Henny Penny and Chicken Joe <laughs> from memory. And that was it. We took we took the wooden milking cow and I made a second one by then. So we had two. Yeah. We took local produce from the area. So um, wheat and barley, veg, oilseed rape. We took meats, we our levy boards got involved, red yeah. tractor, centre tractor and things like that. And, it, you know, we just sort of beg, borrowed and stealed and mm. made of it what, 
what we would. And, you know, if you were stood in front of a class holding only a carrot, at least you were stood in front of that class. And the most humbling thing that they taught me in that school was we, I mean, it was a crazy day. We'd left at 3 a.m. Mm. We'd arrived in the school. I don't think we even stopped for coffee. We were straight in and, and bang, yeah. done. And this, the school did provide us with lunch. And I, I can remember one of the farmer volunteers actually scoffed lunch really quickly and then lay down on the on the corner of the common room and went to sleep for <laughs> 10 minutes because he's like, oh my God, I'm knackered. <laughs> yeah. And we kept going. And even when we finished for the day, we met the parents then in the pay- playground and were handing out samples of burgers and milk and things like that and talking to the parents, taking photos with them. So we got to the end of the day and we had our lunch, our packed lunch that we'd taken with us, which was yeah. left over. We had uh, our veg and everything like that. And I said to the head teacher, gosh, we've, we've got milkshakes that have been donated to us. I don't really want to take all this stuff home. Would any of your teachers like it? And she mm. said, right, there's a room over there in the corner of the playground. She said, put all of your food in there because there are children here today who will not have tea tonight. And those parents will go into that room and they will take that food and take it home. And hopefully someone's going to get fed. Mm. We put everything in there. You name it, it got put in that room. And within half an hour, it had gone. Yeah, well, that was humbling. Yeah, yeah. Humbling. So we have to remember that, you know, we are producing raw ingredients to keep people alive. Yeah. And that is a big responsibility. We need to make sure that it is safe, that it's traceable and that it's available for people because that's what we do as farmers. And that is the lesson they taught us. And that's why Cows on Tour still exists. Perhaps not in quite the same way, but it has to keep going for those kids. Yeah. And I've just got chills just listening to what you're telling me because it is reminding us all that actually we're in a very privileged position in some senses that you know we are producing such amazing food that is going to sustain people but actually there are so many people that don't have food to be able to feed their family and so by just doing that and having the opportunity I, mean, I volunteer sometimes for the food larder so I kind of kind of get it but actually when you hear somebody else talk about it it just reminds you more and more that actually there are so many people that don't have the same luxuries that we do yeah and it, it's it's even it's even more than that I can't remind people enough our food is safe okay it's safe that's the most basic gift you can give to someone even if they can't eat much that day it's safe Mm. and that's something we should be so proud of when we're when we're British food producers Mm. because we are making sure that we're doing our bit that people aren't always eating British food but when they do you know they're okay yeah it'll be okay for tomorrow yeah absolutely has farming been a rite of passage for you growing up did you always want to get involved in farming so that was a really interesting question. I went to, I farm about three miles from the centre of Cardiff as the crow flies. Mm. Uh, I went to school right in the heart of Cardiff. So a very urban up- upbringing. I was the odd one out, the, you know, the weird kid that liked mud and cows and sheep yeah. when everybody else wanted, it was an all girls school. Everybody else wanted to wear dresses and, and go into town and uh, go to the cinema I I don't think the first time I went to the cinema I think I was about 15 years old no yeah. I was older than that. I was probably 17 years old before I did my first trip to the cinema but growing up in that urban environment the uh, the careers advice to go into farming was non-existent in yeah. fact it was completely looked down on farming was a very basic poor trade mm. and you know you needed to be a solicitor and a doctor and a nurse and a dentist and all of those uh, amazing careers 
Uh, and certainly my parents didn't put any pressure on me to to do anything. So I just sort of drifted. Uh, and it wasn't until someone in the agricultural industry, no idea who it was, randomly rang up the house one day when I was on a gap year thinking, what do I do? Yeah. And said to me, well, what are you doing at the minute? And I was like, I have no idea. Um, I'm just, you know, passing the time. And I was working on the farm then. Yeah. But I just never realised that it could be a career. Yeah. And he said, you need to go to agricultural university. And within 24 hours of that phone call, mm-hmm. I had a prospectus in my hands and was trying to fill out a UCAS form, which yeah. I never thought I would do, and, and went to agricultural university. And the day I set foot in that uni, it was the Royal Agricultural University, Yeah. the day I set foot there, I realised I was where I was supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah. So, you found yeah, your, amazing. found your yeah. calling. Amazing. Oh, um, and so... Talk to me about the farm at home then, because obviously you're very much involved with the with the family business. How many cows are you milking, and where where does the milk go? We yeah, we're milking two hundred cows. They're all descended from both sets of grandparents. So my father's parents were farming, but also my mum's parents were farming. So really chuffed to have the both sets of bloodlines. Mm. Um, our milk goes to Processor Muller, but actually it's um, part of the Sainsbury's group. Mm-hmm. So it will end up, we are part of a number of producers in Wales who supply the Sainsbury's Welsh milk pool. So our milk is, is all kept separate, collected in one lorry, um, bottled process, and then comes back to Wales and goes in the Welsh stores. Yeah, amazing. And, and you've got some shorthorns and some other breeds? Yeah, so we are, well, we used to be 50% dairy shorthorn and 50% Holstein Frisian. And for, for people who don't really know, the dairy shorthorn is the native British breed that fed a lot of people pre-war. And it's the brown cow that's out in the field where they could be brown or white or they could be what we call a roan, which I like to think of it. It looks a bit like a chocolate sponge that's had um, icing sugar sprinkled over the top. That's the kind of colouring, isn't it? It's a beautiful, it's absolutely stunning colour. Yeah. Yeah. All of our Holstein fruit, the whole herd is descended from dairy shorthorns. It's just that a lot of them have been bred out. And the reason a lot of farms went to Holstein Frisian is because it is like the greyhound of the cow of the dairy cow world. It, It will you know they are bred to produce milk and they do it very well and very efficiently yes the dairy shorthorn had the edge because it was native and, and british a good uh good converter of grass very fertile good on their feet yes but the genetics of the black and white of that holstein frisian have have really caught up and in many ways overtaken these days and it's yeah. it's a lot harder for my business to justify the traditional dairy shorthorn and I I like the purebreds there are yeah. a lot of people who do a bit of crossbreeding but keeping them pure for me is key mm. so we've reduced the dairy shorthorns a little bit but they're still part of my heritage yeah and they're part of of my of our farm culture so I will never get rid of them and you know like I say they're absolutely stunning they're a they pleasure are. to have in the herd they are and it's the longevity isn't it I think that's what you're sort of trying to really instill within your herd because you're obviously trying to get grass or they convert grass into milk looking after the cows for a long time and uh, making sure that they are in the the sort of best health and um, there's so much that goes into it that I mean we could probably just talk all day about just cow management um but (laughs) I know we're sort of touching so many um different topics in a short space of time but you've recently also established an agroforestry scheme How, how did that come about and what will the benefits be? So that came about because of social media and these really, you know, weird and wonderful people that that you can meet on social media opens a whole new avenue to new conversations. And Mm -hmm. I somehow got 
talking to someone who calls himself the stick farmer, <laughs> who is a land economist and former forester and a former world champion hedge layer. Okay. And I have absolutely no idea how he managed to achieve it, but he managed to convince me to take a small portion of land, about four acres, out of agricultural production and put it down to trees. And my main motivation is, you know, can we provide a better future for the farm mm. and a better future to make sure that we can, um, you know, maintain and, and ideally increase employment on the farm? And obviously there's there's a lot of talk at the minute about trees. I'm not interested in a tree that's just going to sit there and look pretty. Mm. I want a tree that will contribute to the working environment of the farm and to the income of the farm and will make sure that it does maintain its employment. Mm. And that's what he told me this this would do. He wanted to grow trees that grew very quickly and would provide pretty much a cash crop maybe every three years on average. Uh, And I thought, you know what, I'm going to have to put my money where my mouth is and give it a go. So that's what we've done. Amazing. Well, that's the thing. And you've got to kind of give it a go, haven't you? Because there's so many people that are looking at looking to the future and thinking, well, what can we change? How can we diversify looking at climate change and the environment and how we work in conjunction? And something like this is a real kind of step forward. And I know I know there's been a little bit of controversy, hasn't there? Um, But actually, it will benefit you long term not only for uh hopefully financial reasons but for employment and for your carbon footprint yeah and the controversy is is really important to to be aware of because to a lot of farmers including myself the thought of planting trees is a threat um it is a threat to our rural communities if if we lose the jobs in these rural communities essentially the lights will go off and you will have valleys that that are dark and and you know, people who are there looking after that landscape and, and making sure that the local village shop and the school stays open will be gone. Mm. Um, what drew me to this tree idea is the fact that actually it will be integrated as part of the farm. If it's mm. a cash crop, to me, that's an arable crop. Mm. Um, part of this will be producing a product for building. That's great. Lots of farms. We don't just produce food, do we? We produce textiles and we produce building materials mm. to, to some degree. The other part of it, we will be looking at producing a, a, a food that could be fed to the animals. I mean, it, it's it's quite a complicated design, but it's farming. Mm. It's not a million miles away from what I do. And, and that's what it was about for me. And there are lots of farms who've done a huge amount of success with diversification. Yeah. To me, I'm interested in farming. That is my business. I don't want to diversify away from it. I want to make that business stronger. And, and that's mm. what this is suggesting it will do. I don't know whether it will work or not, but it's exciting to give it a try. Yeah. And I remember when you spoke at the Innovation for Ag event, you were like, oh, taking four acres out, out of production, you know, my really, it's all about the cows for me. And now I've kind of uh, been persuaded otherwise. So it, it is really exciting. And actually, since you've spoken, I've been to two other different um, farms and seen similar schemes. So now I'm like, oh, maybe I'll be inspired to write sort of a few case stories or something on agroforestry, because I I get it now. Um, but, you know, when you read the Farmers Weekly or or, or some of the, the general mainstream newspapers, you kind of think, what's all this about, you know, planting all these trees, taking land out of production and what have you. But actually, it is part of the bigger picture, isn't it? Yeah. If, if we can find a case for, for every farm, they could just have a very small corner in their farm for their own needs, a very small corner, even if it's half an acre. Mm. And it could do something different that still brings in an income. 
and a guaranteed income, not a government prop up, and it can benefit them, then, you know, that would be brilliant. And that's what it's about to me. If it can yeah. do those things, you know, then then let's go for it. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And so how do you fit it all in, Abby? Because obviously you're farming at home, you're involved in so much cows on tour and obviously being NFU deputy president for Wales. And that obviously feeds into the national NFU and everything else. You must never be at home. <laughs> it's I'm not going to pretend it's not a challenge. And sometimes it's a struggle. You know, I can remember being at the Royal Welsh Show and I had a phone call at 10 to 5 in the morning. Um, obviously, I was staying up at the Royal Welsh Show. So it was, it was a good hour and three quarters away from home saying, there's a cow in the ditch. What do you want me to do? And, and thinking, there is actually no one at home that could take care of this. What do I do? And it's trying to make sure I put those safeties in place so that if I'm not there, someone else can be. So mm. it's a challenge but it's not you know we're working through it and yeah. I wouldn't have it any other way um yeah. if I didn't do the farm bit at home I could not do the NFU bit I need yeah. to remind myself who I am and where I come from yeah and without that so you know it's a learning curve I try mm. not to overthink it I embrace yeah. the chaos yeah yeah oh, I like that I really like that because I mean especially now in the world of zoom and everything else I mean y- you can spin the plates a bit more can't you um and it's just I think for me sometimes when I'm really busy it's trying to remind yourself about looking after yourself like a bit of self-care and uh trying to reflect on things that you have achieved and what you've done rather than constantly looking forward because I think sometimes we get too caught up in the chaos I guess (laughs) yeah it, it is don't overthink it you know that's that's absolutely key really and yeah um yeah, just if if you love it, you will find the time and make the time. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And I think you've really um, embraced your passions, really. And uh, and also the fact, you know, you're, you've got your feet in the mud, but then the next minute you're, you know, putting a suit on and representing so many other farmers as well. Um, it, it's it's really inspiring. And I think you're doing a, a, an amazing job to represent so many people on really important issues. Too kind, yeah. It does make me chuckle. I remember going to the Farmers Weekly Awards last year and I did a little video which showed me, you know, splashing around in cow slurry in the morning and then wearing high heels and a and a black tie dress <laughs> in the night. You know, and there'll, there'll be occasions when I'm, gosh, I might start milking at half past three in the morning, go like the clappers to be pulling on a suit to be in the Senate in Cardiff by, you know, half past nine or something. Yeah, it's just, uh, it's brilliant. You just do it. Oh, absolutely amazing. And so this podcast, I obviously try and connect people between food produced in the UK and recipe ideas and suggestions and things like that. So do you enjoy cooking? Do you have time for cooking? Are there any go-to recipes that you enjoy preparing or eating? Yeah, so cooking is not something I particularly embrace. I wouldn't say it's because I don't enjoy it, but mm. um, if it doesn't happen really quickly then it doesn't happen at all. But I would imagine there's a lot of people listening to this who think, I know exactly what you mean. So a lot of my life revolves around the cattle and coffee. And as long as there's coffee flowing, then you know yeah. life will happen. In terms of what foods do I enjoy and what cooking do I really, really ba- bang as a mash. Yeah. You know, really basic meals. I mean, how easy is that? Yeah. Mash, peas, bangers, gravy. Yeah. 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 You know, nice and simple. There's nothing added to it. Um really easy so it, it's it's you know proper basic raw ingredients i'm not interested in adding a few herbs here and some spices there 
it's just something real simple yeah 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 no absolutely no well as a sausage connoisseur myself having uh, <laughs> having pigs on the farm everyone says to me oh your your sausages are amazing and I'm like gosh what were you eating before and um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but then I I suppose we we put a whole pig into sausage so um you know it's decent quality mm. meat and uh, I think again it's just reminding people where possible if they can you know head to the the local butchers or you know look at the meat content as well um then that can always help and obviously the flavor is just incredible yeah absolutely i think people should remember as well if you go to lo- your local butchers you're not just it's not just cuts of meat that are available they do some incredible pies mm. and yeah you know, like scotch eggs and really good quality and mm. i mean really good mm. and they are so helpful and they are you know they'll do the fresh range but there's also frozen so you could go in there like i'll go in a bulk buy a load of pies mm. meat and gravy pies or whatever they may be and chuck them in the freezer mm. and they do them in all sorts of sizes so depending on how quickly and how many people you've got coming mm. you know they they do so much more than just cuts of meat yeah so yeah. you know people should remember that when they're going to a local butcher and it, it's definitely affordable yeah. you know it's not you're not going in there to, to pay more no you know you will have to go out of your way so it's a separate service but I bet there are so many people who commute that go past the butcher shop every day. They will always be parking there because you're just running in and running out and you get a fantastic service. You really do. Yeah, you do. And it's service with a smile. And I mean, our local butchers, they actually, because they serve so many pubs and restaurants they do have a bit of a delivery service now so I think I think you've got a minimum spend of like 50 pounds for them to deliver to you but actually like you say when you go in you know you can go and get some chicken drumsticks or you know batch buy mm-hmm. some some mints or like some of the pre-prepared stuff and, and like our butchers are getting um a lot more kind of uh, dynamic in in what they're they're selling they've even started doing like their own ready meals and things that are kind mm-hmm. of oven ready just to kind of shove in the oven while you're doing other things so it is is and and it also sustains local rural economy they're really good employers and they're obviously buying and sourcing from local farms yeah they are it's it's not like a supermarket and don't get me wrong i sell to a supermarket they are my bread and butter Mm. so and and they're very convenient for a lot of people but if you went to a local butcher shop then they've probably bought the eggs locally they wouldn't have bought them centrally Mm. so and again it's not it's not dissing any producers, but they will have gone within a certain mileage because yeah. that's what they do. They will probably have sourced their milk locally because, you know, they are a small local business themselves. Mm. So it, it's a nice way to help support that community that's on your doorstep. And, you know, if if you are a little bit of a cooking phobe like me, they'll give you the cooking instructions. Yeah, like, yeah. Here's, a, here's a pie. If it's fresh, it's this. If it's frozen, it's this. You could add this, this and this. If they're developing a meal, it's really simple ingredients. There's mm. there's no, you know, you don't need to worry about colorants and preservatives and all that. Mm. It's it's just basic, good quality, nutritious food. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. No, uh, I hope more people do check out what's on their local high street and, and support local by British because it's also low food miles as well. And that's obviously going to help to reduce climate change and our impact on the environment. So, yeah. Um, how how can people find out more about you, Abby? Can they follow you on social media? Yeah, so I am on uh, Twitter, 
uh, as at Abby Reader, A-B-I-R-E-A-D-E-R. I'm yep. on Instagram as at Abby Reader one and I'm on Facebook as Abby Reader. Brilliant. <laughs> I sometimes think, should I have used the farm name? But um, I don't know. I started off with my own name and that was the end of that. I yeah. just talk about general stuff that I do. And if anyone's yeah. interested, please do follow. Yeah, no, lovely. Well, I'll put the, the links in the show notes anyway, so people can um, find you and make sure it is you um, that they found um, and, and what have you. Um, but no, thank you. Now, here are a few ideas for things you can try at home. Christmas is on its way and I've just got the recipe to make at home with the kids as a sweet treat or a perfect gift. Chocolate bark. Now you can get really creative with your masterpiece and let the kids get messy too. Licking the spoon is definitely on the cards. The full recipe I'll pop in the show notes. So basically you melt some dark chocolate 200 grams of. It has to have at least 70% cocoa solids. Uh, line a baking tree, tray with some baking parchment and pour the dark chocolate onto the parchment in a rectangular shape. Next, melt some white chocolate and drizzle, um, making in swirls, blobs, use some cocktail sticks to make it fancy patterns. Then you can scatter with some dried fruit, marshmallows, nuts, soft um, sea salt, whatever you fancy to decorate. A colour contrast often works really well. So I often use pistachios, freeze-dried raspberries and marshmallows. Amazing. Now, all you have to do then is leave somewhere cool to set and then break into shards to eat or wrap in some nice paper um, to give as a gift. It will last for about two weeks. Um, although once you've made it, it probably won't hang around for very long, especially if you've got a sweet tooth. In season right now, December time, I've got a long list here. <laughs> Beetroot, Brussels sprouts, cauliflower, celeriac, celery, chicory, horseradish, kale, leeks, parsnips, lemon sole, lobster, mackerel, duck, goose, grouse, guinea fowl, hare, mallard, partridge, pheasant, rabbit, turkey and venison. Now, one thing you'll notice as we approach to Christmas is the abundance of cheese available who doesn't love a cheese board in the uk we produce over 700 varieties of cheese all with a slight regional difference texture or taste now until recently i didn't realize there was so much science that went into making cheese as to get a consistent cheese 365 days a year the milk used needs to be a certain amount of protein but with seasonality the grass grows at different rates and quality throughout the year which is what the cows consume so as a cheese producer, you have to be mindful of this and adjust your recipe accordingly. Amazing. A few of my favourite cheeses, which I think you should check out. Um, Belton Smoked Red Fox, which is a Red Leicester. Lycross Vintage Mature Farmhouse Cheddar. And then Long and Dairy make the most pungent Stilton cheese, which is amazing. So be sure to take advantage of the tasty cheese on offer and even better if it is produced in the British Isles. Abby, what's your favourite cheese? Do you enjoy eating cheese? So I was just sat there running through my head on what my favourite cheese is. Uh, I, I do love Stilton. I got onto a lot of that during COVID. Yeah. Uh, and also Wensleydale. I love Wensleydale. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Superb. Uh, and you've mentioned uh, Lycross. Yes. I had the pleasure of visiting that farm. Yes. Incredible family outfit. You know, amazing to see what they're doing to get see cheese into schools and things like that. So, yeah, fantastic yeah. when you can sort of visualise where that cheese came from. 
Absolutely. No, they're an incredible. And they're doing so well um, internationally, like getting cheese into various different countries all around the world. Because I think I think what we forget, because we enjoy cheese so much and we've got so many cool, uh, amazing cheese producers in this country that actually not every country has cheese producers or produces cheese as well. So uh, they are really flying the flag for for British food and farming. So yeah, um, it's 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 a great one. And also they do a lot of this um, the own brand labels as well, which again people perhaps don't necessarily take into account when they're buying, but actually they're probably made by the same people that then with some of the actual branded cheese. Um, but it's just the supermarket own label. That's it. There's a new um, processing unit going up on the Isle of Anglesey at the minute in Wales. Um, which is doing specifically that. So they're taking in milk, but doing supermarket own brands for a variety of different supermarkets. It's all yeah. coming from the same processor. So, you know, just because it says own brand doesn't mean that you are compromising in any way on quality. Mm. But then obviously, if you get the branded one, then you get that that closer link to that regional area or, mm. you know, whatever it may be. So, you know, cheese in whatever form is good stuff. So Definitely, yeah. definitely. I think that's it. Eat more cheese. <laughs> um right okay that's all we got time for today don't forget to tune into the next episode of the countryside kitchen meets on the first of each month you can subscribe i can't speak now you can subscribe on all major podcast streaming platforms and you can get in touch as well if you'd like to be on a future episode or send me some of your recipes as well because i'm always up for having a crack and having a go and then i can post uh my own stamp on that recipe so you can email me at hello at millie5.com and also don't forget the food blog and um the on social media no fest meals of busy parents which is now a community interest company thank you so much for joining me abby it's been amazing thank you so much for all that you do for all of us representing the food and farming industry no thank you millie it's been fab to be involved in this podcast and i wish you very well with with everything that you're doing it's amazing Oh, thank you. Right. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And we'll see you next time. Bye.